Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. And as a bonus, it comes free with an unpleasant odor. But wait, there's more. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is reporter and contributor Nikki Reitmeyer. Uh, Larry, hold on. Should, should I be holding my nose here now? Uh, frankly, I don't think that you smell any different than you did before. You've only known me with Parkinson's. We didn't know I had it when we met, but my body chemistry was already starting to change, and my wife sure noticed. You know, there were days where we were just like, dude, do you not realize that you smell? <laughs> wow, okay. Has has anyone else noticed the smell? Only one person. At the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto in June, I met a kind Scottish woman named Joy Milne. My husband, when he was 45, was diagnosed with Parkinson's, but I, in actual fact, smelt a change in his odor 12 years before that. Okay, so she smelt a change. What what did you first think when you heard her say this? I thought, well, that's kind of kooky. Like, a little bit out there, but, you know, I'm, I'm open. Uh, but, like, I thought it would be, like, a fun feature story. And then I realized there could be some legitimacy here that could lead to some great discoveries down the oh. line. Um, but I, I want to really introduce you to her because, you know, I think people, hey, it's the woman who can smell Parkinson's, but she's joy and right. she is full of joy. But she she is a somebody. She is a person. And she had a husband and his name was Dr. Leslie Allen Milne. He was a consultant anesthetist. She was a nurse practitioner. Uh, but long before that, their bond began as high school sweethearts. They met at 16. Les was the junior Scottish breaststroke champion. He'd go on to swim for Scotland against South Africa in 1965, play water polo at university. He was the Dundee College Athlete of the Year in 1972. And Nikki, you know what? (laughs) Back then, he smelled good. (laughs) He had a wonderful male musk smell. He didn't wear deodorants or anything. He was a swimmer. They go swimming, and he didn't bother, and he did have a lovely male musk smell. And when did that change? He just before, he was 31, just before his 32nd birthday. And I said to him, uh, Les, you're smelling, you're not washing enough, which didn't go down well. So how did she go from, Les, you need to wash more, to... I can smell Parkinson's. Well, it took a while. It was a long journey. After Les's diagnosis, they moved back home uh, to settle down in Perth, Scotland. That is where they attended their first Parkinson's UK support group meeting. 
And Joy could hardly wait for that meeting to end. I came out and I thought, wait, I've got to get him home. Sat him down at the dining room table. I said, look, come on, have a seat. He said, well, what's wrong? I said, have a seat. And I said to him, all those people who have Parkinson's in that room smell similar, if not the same, as you. What are you talking about, he says. I said, they smell the same as you. Remember me going on about the smell? Right. Oh, we'll have to go back to the next meeting. Uh, you know, the doctor in him. He'd done research before with anaesthetics. So, oh, we've got to go back. But the next meeting was in a month's time. That drove me mad. When is it? Is it this week? No, 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 no. It's next week. Because <laughs> he's fairly well on then uh, in his Parkinson's. So, yeah, it, um, we went in and I, and I say this to people, I went and helped with the teas. And I, we brought a box of chocolate biscuits because then everybody would speak to me and they would want a chocolate biscuit because, you know, the sweet tooth in Parkinson's. And I would <laughs> smell as I handed over the biscuits. I can't believe that Les didn't start immediately asking like a million questions because I have so many questions for her. Right. If my wife came to me and said, hey, I can smell your Parkinson's, I would be like, what? well, let's have a conversation about I mean, this. <laughs> how do you define that? Like, and so, so then, then to go through all that, those extra sniffing everybody as they're coming up for the biscuits. It's yeah. kind of funny. She's telling me the story. I'm, I'm just like what? slack jawed. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That, what a what a strange thing she must have been experiencing in those moments. Well, just think about like, is nobody else noticing, noticing this? this? Yeah, am I the only one? <laughs> just incredible stuff. Yeah, really. So, what happened next? We went home. I mean, he couldn't wait until we got out the door on the next meeting. I said, "Well, I said, yeah, I'm right. It's all different levels, but they all have this smell." And he said, levels? And he went, yes, ah, levels. So, so being a doctor, he looked at the meetings I, we were going to be going to for Parkinson's in Scotland. And there was this one at um, the Regenerative Centre in Little France in Edinburgh. And he l- looked up Dr. Tilo Kunath and uh, he said, this is the man. This is the man you stand up in front of. So I am... Um, to my shame, I have told Tilo this, I didn't hear one word of his stem tell talk. I was very, very nervous about doing this. And he was quite relieved that, you know, he'd done his talk, yes, that was fine, and he asked for questions. And I stood up and I said, well, um, why are we not using the fairly strong smell of Parkinson's to diagnose it earlier? Total silence in the room. <laughs> I, I get a feeling of shudders when I enter that room now, which I do once or twice a year. And I yeah. think, and he said, uh, do you mean the smell, the loss of smell? I said, no. People with Parkinson's have a definite smell. And he left it at that. Wow. He spoke to me after, but he, he le- we left it at that. And I left him to go off and do his thing, which I'm sure he will tell you about. Mm. This would be a great time to introduce Tilo. Uh, my name is Tilo Kunat. I'm a reader in um, regenerative neurobiology at the University of Edinburgh. Do you remember the first time you met Joy? 
I do. I do. I remember. What was that like? I remember the first time very clearly. I was giving a talk to people with Parkinson's and their carers. It was during uh, Parkinson's Awareness Week in in, Edinburgh, in the UK. And at the end of my talk, I you know I entertained questions, and this is when Joy asked me about Parkinson's and the odor of Parkinson's and when she first asked the question. I said, yes, yes, they do lose their sense of smell. Yes, people with Parkinson's. And she said, no, no, no. She said, do they smell differently? Yeah, I was just flabbergasted and confused and um, I didn't I didn't really understand what she was talking about, but I, I definitely remembered it because it was very unusual. What did you do after that meeting? Directly after the meeting, I didn't do anything for, for several months. Essentially, almost put it out of my mind, but about nine months later, um, I was interacting with a cancer biologist and she was uh, working with me looking for biomarkers to write a grant for biomarkers for Parkinson's. And I mentioned this lady, I didn't know her name at the time even, that she thought she could smell Parkinson's. And then this uh, professor then uh, convinced me that she might not be crazy, that, uh, that some uh, cancers have an odor, and you wouldn't expect a cancer to have an odor, that maybe maybe she had something to it. Did you think she was crazy? I didn't think she was crazy, but I thought it was an unusual question, and, and I didn't know what it meant, and you know, it's just something that I would never think was even possible. Okay, so other diseases have odors as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ongoing research around smell of Parkinson's and and other diseases like cancer. And I'm going to tell you about three studies that Joy has taken part in. Uh, And the first one was with Tilo and Perdita Barron, a professor of mass spectrometry at the University of Manchester. Now here they have a woman who claims she can smell Parkinson's. So I asked Tilo, well, how do you prove that? Yeah, so that was the challenge. So she thought she could and um, and I was convinced just after phone interviews and that you know, she might be able to and we weren't sure how to do it and um, in the end we came up with an experiment where she couldn't be near the person with Parkinson's because you know we, you know one idea was to have them walk by with her blindfolded and stuff but clearly people walking with them without Parkinson's will sound different so we decided a uh, you know an article of clothing was the one way and have it all coded and have them the people wearing the clothing nowhere near joy you know she's never even met them um, but just give them her articles of clothing that people with and without parkinson's wore and asked her to tell us which ones were the parkinson's patients and going into that test what was your idea of what success would look like I wasn't sure uh, what uh, we were expecting, but like, like what percentage yeah, would you say? Uh, oh, well, that could success be success. Would be you know something statistically significant that's greater than chance, right? So um, that she might get uh, a number of them right and maybe a few uh, wrong ones. But um, you know, the very first experiment was uh, with uh, twelve people, but we cut the, all the t-shirts in half, so she had to go through twenty-four samples. And her accuracy was unbelievable, right? She, what does that mean? She got um, um, 11 out of the 12 people correct, meaning people that were not didn't have Parkinson's, she said didn't. People that had Parkinson's, she said did. And then um, the one mistake that she made was, was, a, was a healthy control, that she said, this is Parkinson's, and we said, it's not. It's, it's a, this is one of our controls. Or when we unblinded, it was one of our controls, and uh, you know, that was her one mistake. And then um, this particular individual, um, months later, uh, had come to me and said, Tilo, um, you're going to need to put me in the 
Parkinson's group because I've just been diagnosed. So this is when my jaw dropped wow. and I was, uh, you know, I was uh, absolutely convinced that she could, you know, detect Parkinson's by odor. Wow, that is crazy. When I, well, when I heard that, I said, Whoa. okay, now I'm a believer. Yeah, no kidding. That's incredible. Well, and the fact that she could smell PD wasn't the only surprise of the study. She kept saying the odor was in the collar near the label, right? And when we were doing, we were already anticipating doing some metabolomics, meaning looking at the molecules on the shirts. So we were, we were, we were doing test samples of our own underarm uh, sweat from, our, uh, from other shirts because we had bought all the shirts that, that volunteers wore and that we used for testing. So we were just tuning the machines for, for our underarm. <laughs> and she says, there's no odor in the underarm. Parkinson's odor is not in the armpits because this is what we normally associate with human odor, um, but it's in the it's in the it's in the neck region at the back of the shirt was where it's strongest. So that we absolutely were not anticipating. So it wasn't sweat; it was an overproduction of sebum, which is grease from your sebaceous glands. The sebum is really pervasive. Sebaceous glands are all over the body except on the soles of your feet and the palms of your hands, and in Parkinson's they're overactive, which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a unusual odor, but it's been known since the 1920s that people with Parkinson's are, you know, have greasy uh, heads, greasy forehead. They sometimes appear in the clinic a waxy. Medical students are, are told to look for a waxy appearance, but, um, you know, it's never been really investigated why, right? And still we don't really know why, but, um, you know, in the end, we think it is the sebum was the source of the odor. Um, and then um, a beautiful paper by Perdita Baron that uh, I'm an author on and uh, Joy Mill have identified some of the molecules that uh, are more overrepresented in this odor. Okay, wow. So they've gone from saying that Joy can smell PD to identifying that she smells sebum to discovering the actual molecules that she's smelling. This is amazing, right? This yeah. is why I'm so excited about this. So Professor Barron hooked Joy's nose up to a machine. It looks like a fancy oxygen mask. And they fed smells to Joy, and they smell fed the same smell to the machine. So as she was identifying the smells, the machine was breaking down what molecules were there that, and that's how they discovered which molecules were, you know, responsible for these odors that she was smelling. Here is Perdita explaining some of those results. We found if we compared the samples from people with Parkinson's to the people without, there were significant differences. There were 17 compounds that were really different between the control and the patient samples. And of those four were significantly different, and they always varied in the same way. So three of them were significantly upregulated, much, much more of them than expected in the control subjects, and one of them actually was downregulated. And that allowed us to build a model, which means now we could swab from any one of you, and in nine out of ten cases, we could distinguish someone with Parkinson's to someone without. So we're correct on predicting Parkinson's from these odours. We didn't just do the mass spectrometry experiment, though. We went back to Joy. And using something rather like my clicker here, she clicks when she smells a compound. She was smelling the compounds coming from the gauze, being separated and weighed. And she said, that smells like Les. That smells like Les in real time. She diagnosed Parkinson's. And the mass spectrometer told us what it was. 
So what do you do with this information? Well, you know, one of the holy grails for Parkinson's research is a biomarker. Everybody's looking for a biomarker. That's a test that anyone can take before symptom onset to know if they have the the biological markers in their body for Parkinson's disease, you know, blood or stool or eye or ear or nose, something that you can swab or test. Right. There's nothing like that for Parkinson's right now. Now it's just, it's physical examination. It's all, you know, subjective. Uh, So I put the question to Tilo. Uh, biomarker is exact term of why we think it's important. So I think this could help um, define a biomarker that's unbiased, but also define a biomarker that's early. Right. Early before onset of symptoms. Um, she, she she spelled her husband 12 years before onset. Yes, definitely a long time before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the exact uh, you know onset date, you know diagnosis well, sure. date and onset date is different, but it's definitely right. about yeah, a decade before and many things happen in Parkinson's about one to two decades before so gut synucleinopathy happens at least a decade before some people's Parkinson's manifest so um, but um, I I also don't think it's going to be a very simple um, cut and dry biomarker here are the 19 molecules do they match do they not it's not that easy I don't think it's going to be that simple because there's never going to be a perfect biomarker but what I think is, is certain is that the microbiome changes through the course of Parkinson's and um, if we know a person's signature at the beginning it may have a Parkinson's like signature it's useful to know how it's changing over time so you may well. be able to have a better sense of the staging of Parkinson's the staging but also are your medications working oh right are you getting better because you're on a clinical trial of a disease modification modifying drug, I think the the microorganisms, um, the odor, will change. So I think the the real usefulness of it will come from multiple readings, over time, over an individual person. So trajectory of change of molecules will be very very useful, um, and I think it will be very feasible because measuring these things and taking the sample is easy and cheap. You right. don't have to take blood. You don't have to uh, take a skin biopsy. It's literally a wipe of the back with a, with a gauze or the forehead, and that's your sample collection. It's amazing. We've collected, they have, you know, Manchester have collected 800 samples in the UK. No one's complained because it's painless. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, and then the molecular analysis, once the molecules are known, uh, Perdita Baron will use either something called ion mobility mass spectrometry, which you know... If you've ever flown through an airport, because this is the same technology they use to test for explosives. Oh, okay. And how long does it take you, these people, to, to scan your briefcase? Not long. Seconds, right? So they know the molecules they're looking for, so they tune their, their machine to it, and they take seconds to look at it. Wow. And it's cheap, because they can do it whenever they, they don't like the look of someone, or, <laughs> or if something, you know, if there's right. a random checks, whatever, right? But it's quick, and it's cheap. So those molecules, they're for explosive, but the same, you know, molecules for a PD odor, once they're well uh, identified. So the first set was from a set of uh, 60 patients. Now there's 800. So I think Perdita is going to get an excellent signature. Um, once the molecules are known, testing multiple times is not going to be an issue in terms of cost or time or patient inconvenience because it's, it's painless. Right. If you think about people do, who don't have access to a neurologist because they live in rural areas or remote areas, this yeah. could be a really effective way of monitoring them. 
That's incredible. The other thing that Joy and the researchers have discovered is that there are five levels of smell based on how off or severe your Parkinson's is manifesting in your body. The levels, well, it's this one, believe it or not, is quite difficult, level one. Um, I have to hunt. I was explaining to Larry earlier, I actually hunt. I, my nose makes me hunt. It's, it's just one of these things. I can follow molecules to wherever they're going. And it's not smells I smell. I begin to smell the decreasing molecules. I have synesthesia, so that's, you know, it's one of my things. So I have to really look here for the molecules. It is mainly the person. Here, here, it is the sebum musk smell. It is not quite half and half, but not far off it. So it's a lot easier to detect level two. Level three, again, is difficult because there's very little person left and I can get the PD, but I have to find the person as well. You know, it, it's, it's an interaction of you know, the molecules that are to make it that level three because level four is too strong there isn't a person, it's only Parkinson's. And this one, I've only smelt it twice, and it is, I can smell it from here. Now, scientists can be divided on many things, especially when we're talking about newer research. So I imagine that not all scientists are buying into the whole smell of Parkinson's research. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Uh, Tilo told me, that especially initially, there was a lot of critical response. You know, he, I mean, it's brave for him to stand up and go, I think I've figured out why she smells Parkinson's. And they're like, are you crazy? crazy yeah. uh, but more and more scientists are coming around and opening their minds to to different uh, ways that things can manifest. And you, you, you have to look at these things with an open mind, with, a, with an objective mind, and use science to prove them wrong if you think they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And what they're finding is that well, actually, she can smell Parkinson's. Actually, there is something here. Um, and, and the responses seem to be a lot more positive these days now that people are beginning to, to go, oh, okay, well, show me the evidence. I also asked Joy about this. Since you've been uh, published around the world mm-hmm. and become kind of a pseudo-celebrity <laughs> uh, for your nose that knows, uh, what kind of reaction have you got? Uh very, very nice reaction by people involved in these diseases that need help. What about the other people? As Andrew Lees, Professor Andrew Lees, who you will know of, uh, put it, uh, medicine says, oh well, you know, um, hmm, that's not true. So my answer to the first one was, oh well, look at Trevedi et al, 2019, and yeah, we have the molecules of Parkinson's. The next part is, well, what are we going to do with it? And my answer was, we can give you early diagnosis. Don't you want to look at early diagnosis with only 10 to 15% of damage? Don't you want, because that is reversible. And then, oh, well, we knew about it anyway. In 1927, a Dr. David Creston wrote a paper which is 18 pages long with exactly, with photographs of what I smell. And you weren't aware of this? Tilo found it when we started the research. None of us were aware of it. Amazing. 
1927, he actually quotes uh, Sarbo and Cohen, who uh, scientists who wrote about it in 1920 and 21. So this is one study, but you actually mentioned that there's others as well. Yeah. So uh, Joy's story was noticed by a nonprofit group in Tanzania called Apopo. And for 20 years, this group has been training very large rats to smell tuberculosis. They're called hero rats. Aww. Have you heard of this? <laughs> no, I haven't. It's uh, amazing. And I was like, what? Hero uh, rats. Yeah. So Apopo founder Bart Vuijans admits it's a bit unconventional. It is not so easy to convince the general public opinion that scent detection can be a very reliable tool. Okay, but how does it work? Okay, so I'm going to let this narration from an Apopo video explain it for us. Apopo deploys specially trained TB-detecting hero rats. They detect tuberculosis using their extraordinary sense of smell and are faster and more sensitive than microscopy. How does it work? TB suspect patients give sputum samples at clinic for examination, and one of these is sent to Apopo's central city lab, where it will be tested within 24 hours. A hero rat quickly sniffs each sample. If it detects TB, it hovers over the sample for three seconds. Clicker reward training using control samples helps ensure accuracy. Apopo technicians verify rat suspect samples, and if TB is indeed present, Apopo notifies the public clinic that the patient should start treatment immediately. So, so Nikki, TB is a big deal in some regions of the world. 10 million new people contract TB every year. 3 million go undiagnosed. 1.8 million die from the disease every year. The hero rats have identified 12,000 cases of undiagnosed tuberculosis and are saving lives in Tanzania every day. Wow. But what does this have to do with Joy's nose for Parkinson's? Right. Back to Joy. So in spring 2018, Joy was invited to spend a week with a popo. We went back to a popo in Marigoro with the rats. You know, they use the great, the, the African great pouch rat. Um, I agreed with the rats, no problem at all. But I was getting 98% and they were only getting 68%. And what they didn't know was at level four, the TV smell changed. End game. You know, people weren't able to fight against it. There was no longer the person, you know, it was the TB. So the rats weren't trained on the different smell, which was a big revelation to them. And I think it's important that people begin, medicine begins to look at the fact that how does an elephant, elephants in a tribe, know that an elephant's ill and they protect it? How does a wolf know who's in the pack and is ill? They know the smell. Ew. So animals smell when they're ill. I believe they do it, uh, sharks know as well. They have a super sense of smell. So why, we're sentient beings, so why are we not accepting it? That humans, their bodies are screaming out, I'm ill, come on. So hold on, she can smell tuberculosis as well? Well, apparently, and better than the rats. But it turns out TB may actually be responsible for Joy's super smeller. When did you realize you had a super smeller? It was when I was nursing that I began to realize. I nursed, now I'm going to be 70 in January. 
So I nursed a long time ago. I actually nursed TB. You know, so it was in Britain then. So we're looking at um, a certain Nightingale Ward, 16 beds on either side, four or five up in the middle in the winter. Only flimsy screens. Patients weren't allowed out of the bed. That would make the ward look untidy. So I built an olfactory medical library without knowing it. Lifting sputum, um, mugs that were a, a sort of ceramic with a lid that didn't fit, which we had to then pour into tubes to go off to the labs. Um, it was very much you washed your hands everywhere you went. Um, the bedpans were in metal trolleys. They were big, metal-shaped so that anybody, any size could get on and off them. Um, we then uh, put a film of tissue paper over them, took them back to the sluice, we looked at them to make sure that everything was okay, we put them down the sluice. Well, from my nose, I was going... No. I was taking all those molecules in of all those different diseases without knowing it. Wow, this story keeps getting more and more interesting. Well, it makes sense now that she was yeah. surrounded by all those fluids and unhealthy people yeah. and she could begin to discern whether somebody was doing good or bad based on how things smelled coming out of their body. That is just incredible. So the, the Apopo CEO, Christoph Cox, blogged about her visit and it reads... Uh, quote, Unlike our rats, Joy can communicate directly with us, and her observations are very interesting food for thought. For example, Joy closely observed the rats' sniffing behavior and made several recommendations related to their behavior and other conflicting scents in the working environment. Joy's visit was extremely interesting and helpful, and we hope to have her back in the near future so that we can direct her to a more focused study from which I believe we will learn a great deal. And she is going back, Nikki. Oh, really interesting stuff. Yeah, so we'll have to get an update down the line of how that goes. So there's another study that Joy is involved in? Yeah, so this is the third study I talked about. At the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto back in June 2019, Joy shared a study that she conducted with a person with Parkinson's named Allison Williams. Now, these two uh, were exploring the levels of smell that Joy could identify, and the poster was presented, uh, it was called Parkinson's Smell Levels, Symptom Management and Empowerment When Joy Met Allison. So over two and a half years, as Joy smelled Allison's levels, Allison could begin to feel what Joy was smelling. It's knowing what my smell is, and I've developed, a, I've got this wonderful new word called interoception, which is like perception, but it's as perception of what's going on inside me. So with knowing what my smell level is, I now know what that feels like physically and emotionally and mentally. So if I find myself slipping from a one up to a two, usually because of stress or a virus or something like that, I know what I can do to actually bring my smell level back down again. And that is phenomenal. That is That's empowering. Oh, hugely. Yes, hugely empowering. She's changed your life. We've changed it together. Well, sure. We've changed each other's lives. Yeah? yeah we have. <laughs> uh, when Joy first met Allison, she was at a high three on Joy's levels. Upper two, level three in my, my levels. You should be seeing your doctor because then your Parkinson's is going off. You should stay at a one to two if your Parkinson's is being controlled. And during this trial, now that she can monitor her own levels, Joy says... Allison's symptoms have greatly improved. 
sense of smell. She's got 80% of her sense of smell back. Now that is disease modifying. And you look at the mood, she's a lot better. Swinging her arms. So, but, you know, she has been very good, but this difference is... Alison was really stooped, very, very, and really shuffling. And that was my sort of swearing episode going back in the car. Yeah. And so she, she was able to get these outcomes by doing what? She, what she has done is um, she started off with Tai Chi slowly. You know, it wasn't a, I'm going off to do everything, um, which is not good for anybody. And then she thought about the Pilates and dance, as she does Latin movers. She then got herself a gym trainer who understands her ups and down days, which was really good for her. And the amazing thing is, her partner and her, David and her, decided to do the big Japanese drums. I mean, the drumming is fantastic. When she started, she could don, not don, keep don, in don, rhythm. Don, don, sit, don, sit, don, duck on, don, don, sit, don, sit, don, duck on, don, don, duck on, don, don, duck on. Now she's in perfect rhythm. Don, 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 duck, don, duck, and so on. And it's just magical. And I think that's nice. The outcome of the story is that she is now in perfect rhythm right and left. Man, that's really, really incredible. It's given so much back to her. Well, and this is tangible evidence of how you can use Joy's mm-hmm. super smeller, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you, know, you, can, you can see how it's gone from, I can smell Parkinson's, to you can empower yourself by understanding what I smell. Yeah, and it's interesting that we've seen three examples now of Joy's, as you say, smeller really working. Yeah, it's great. It's it's really it's really amazing. Uh, did she uh smell you though, Larry? Uh, funny story. You can smell me. Ah, uh-huh, no I can't. I'm no. not allowed to in the protocols. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm not allowed to. I can't. <laughs> can you smell me though? Yeah, I can't. But yeah, you know, I'm not allowed to tell you what it, how bad or good it is. I, it's a part of the protocols that we don't go that. So I'll just say I smell like cherries. <laughs> and uh, no, you don't. <laughs> so yes, you're good. You're good, but yeah, yeah. you don't smell cherries. That's for yeah. sure. Okay. All right. Very good. I can say the word good. She did come up to me about day three of the conference, Nikki. She did, she went, <laughs> grabbed my upper arm and pulled me in tight and said, "You're tired. Go take some cinnamon and get some rest." Like, she could smell that my chemicals were changing, that I was, like, exhausted. Now, that's also probably a pretty good guess, though. I probably, mean, uh, yeah. Let's I mean, be honest. That's, <laughs> that's not, like, a scientific study, but uh, she was right. Right? <laughs> that is so interesting, though. I have, like, a million questions. When could the biomarker be available for public use? Well, testing continues, and I asked Tilo if he has a timeline. If everything goes the way you want it to, how long before this becomes the bio, a, one of the biomarkers that, that's widely used? Like, yeah. Are we talking how long? five it's years, always, 10 years, yeah. 20 years? Yeah, it's it's very dangerous thing to say how long, but but I think um, well I think, you know we're, we're we're here hoping that yeah, we're, yeah I think we're trying to hurry you guys along yeah yeah so a bio yeah I think it could be sooner rather than later because. Uh, there's already lots of uh, sample collected, samples collected, and I think that's enough to get a good signature, 800 samples. Um, and I think getting the um, 
the, the kit or the tuning done, that's also not going to be difficult because it's just a molecules. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, it's a similar technology that they use for testing explosives. Um, whether it gets picked up and used by clinics as part of their right. repertoire is another thing, right? There's so much effort in biomarkers. But I think um, as a predictive, or as part of a risk score, are you... Um, on the trajectory to get Parkinson's, I think many things should be feeding into that risk score. Do you have REM sleep behavior disorder, for example? Um, do you fail on these um, uh, smell tests, etc.? And uh, molecular signature from the skin, right? All these can be piled together to give you a risk score of how, uh, you, what are your chances of maybe getting Parkinson's in the distant or near future. But at the same time, all these can be used to be testing, uh, to be uh, di- giving an indicator if a clinical trial is working, right? Just having uh, the test for different uh, uh, movement can be very subjective, and people can be quite different on different days. But if something is unbiased, like a blood biomarker or a skin biomarker, then you can get data you know, that is not dependent on how someone's feeling that day or how someone's reacting when they see the doctor. So I think those two areas I would hope could be used in a clinical trial setting or as a research tool soon. Uh, I can say five years, but it's always risky because <laughs> you'll come back to me five years later and so, say, oh, we're not using that yet, right? But, uh, but um, yeah, I, it's hard to say, yeah. but whether it's used in a GP service or maybe even an at-home kit, you know, we're even thinking this is something so simple that if you want to monitor yourself once a month, you know, because you don't see your consultant no. once a month, but if you can do a self-monitoring by just wiping something on your back, putting it on something like a pregnancy test or something like that, and you get an indicator once a month, and if it's off suddenly, and you're in mid in between visits, then you might alert your healthcare provider or your Parkinson's nurse specialist or whoever say, oh my God, my, my readings from my, my back swab are now way up. I think my medication is not tuned right. I think something is uh, tilting. You know, let's, uh, you know, kind of have a visit. That's amazing. So that would be exciting, you know, you know but, you know, if that's in the, the uh, shopper's or the boots, you know, <laughs> in the near, you know, that would be brilliant, be right? Brilliant. Yeah. Hey, yeah. thanks for taking a risk on joy. Thank you. Yeah. It's giving us all joy. Yes. Uh, thank you, Larry. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So we have heard throughout the doubt and skepticism that some have, but also the acceptance of her ability to smell Parkinson's and the wonderful, tangible results that it can lead to. I'm guessing she is thankful. She's living in a time where she can actually share this ability openly. Oh, yeah. And I told her, I said, uh, Joy, you know that if this was like the 1600s, you'd be burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah. The wood. I mean, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I said this to I, I, you know, most of my family have been burned to the stake, I think, probably. <laughs> and there's just a few of us left. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's fun. <laughs> but I've enjoyed doing this with a, a huge result at the end. Did Joy's husband ever see the results? Les died June 2015, and it is actually four years to the day that I sat down to interview Joy. A lot of people, when their spouse dies from a disease, would want to separate from that world. But you've kind of what, leaped in those first. There were two nights that Les was very frightened. He knew it was the end. And I lay down beside him in his all-going-up-and-down bed. And we just curled up together. And he said to me, you will 
do this. You promise me you will do it. So I've done it. But I did have a blip. The first Christmas when he wasn't there, I'm going, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, the, the sort of reaction of not having him and there I am. So, but I came to very quickly. It only took a couple of days. And I thought, oh, don't be stupid, Joy. Get on with it. You know, because I'm a nosy person. I, I'm a nosy person. I like to help people. <laughs> Excuse the pun. <laughs> I am am this person who loves to I think you know I love my job nursing I like the sort of you know the reaction you get when you help somebody do you ever talk to Les and does he ever talk back to you about what you're doing oh I do talk to him about it yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah how we doing you know yeah yeah I tell him how we're doing yeah I get that sense of you know well you'd be pleased and you know chat 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 and yeah I do you ever smell him Ah, now there goes a problem. (laughs) Uh, Ten weeks ago, I was looking after my son's cat, and they have Les's leather chair. Uh Electric leather chair. Rolled it back, put my head back into the cushion, and I went, oh, there you are. The smell was all around me, his smell was all around me it was finally sweet it was it just you know it was quite comforting strangely enough to know i could actually get back to him so so nikki you know how you said you didn't smell a change Mm -hmm. and i said well it's because i already had pd right that's kind of true uh tilo says it's also because not just anyone can detect the change in odor it is interesting that it's always a carer that recognizes the change. So when Joy's story broke in the medium, like many, many emails were sent to myself and to Perdita of women, mostly women, saying, oh, my husband's odor also changed. And, you know, so it was in, Joy wasn't unique. Well, this seems like the perfect time to check in with your wife. Larry and Rebecca sit down each week to talk about the episode and to check in on how each of them are doing. The great thing about joy is now that it's scientifically proven, you can look at that and go, okay, next time I encounter something odd or crazy or weird or something I don't understand, don't dismiss it offhand as sort of, uh, hey, isn't this a cute story? It's like, I wonder how impactful the story can be and be more curious about it and more open-minded about what open-minded I, about what could be yeah it also was a reminder about the struggle that the scientific community and medical community has when challenged by these kinds of things the system isn't set up for them to be super open-minded <laughs> no. about new ways of looking at things. It's But if you look at scientific history, they should be. Well, but yeah. everybody's very much mired in their own time and their own projects and their own way of looking at things. And that serves that community very well to some extent to 
kind of be in your lane? It's only within the last 10 years that science has embraced exercise as it relates to treating Parkinson's and keeping the symptoms at bay. And then only within the last three to five years where they've embraced mindfulness and meditation. I mean, these were fringe ideas when they first were brought to the scientific community because they weren't biological in nature. And science deals a lot with biology, especially in relationship to diseases. And it's starting to open up in small ways. I mean, I still, even at the World Parkinson Congress, when we mentioned, hey, that woman who can smell Parkinson's or whatever, even from folks who have Parkinson's or whatnot, they were kind of like, what? That doesn't sound like it makes sense. That doesn't sound like it's for real. But they hadn't seen the whole story and they hadn't really listen to all the the details of how this is playing out and that science is proving that it's for real and that perhaps they can help find the biomarker and duplicate what she does. And maybe there are other people who can do what she does. And this is a way to discover them if we can get the word out. So how do I smell? <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. It's interesting because I guess I didn't think that you were smelling differently because of the Parkinson's. I think my assumption was is that you were less able to smell yourself, which any of us, if we lost our sense of smell, we would be less sensitive to our own body odors and right. whatnot, right? So, and then you've been talking about how I didn't change my habits at all. I've been washing every day, just like I always do. You shower every day. And change your shirts, and you haven't changed what shirts, what kind of shirts you've been wearing, or whatever. But you'd certainly have been smelling differently. I've really only noticed it since I've been noticing everything, which is since your diagnosis. Right. But as with many things that we've been discovering and remembering, it did occur before then. I would say even before we moved to Vancouver. For sure. I would say when we were living in California which was pre-awareness, pre-diagnosis. You smell good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you can't smell anything, so how would you know? I think you smell good. You're assuming. I love you. I love you, too. (laughs) You smell like Larry. Aww. And I love Larry. Good. I love (laughs) Becky. (laughs) Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. How are you feeling about the uh, DBS surgery in a few weeks? After eight years, for me personally, I'm not afraid of the surgery anymore. And kind of a bit nervous. So being switched on is just, um, well, it's, 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 I can describe it. Amazing. What's the, uh, the one thing that you're really happy that you can do now that you couldn't do before? Be there when kiss me every time. This is George's five, so George's got a new dad, haven't you, George? You did, Daddy. You did it. The always been there for me, but I could play less and less and less up until the point of my surgery. But now it's opened my, it's just opened my creativity. It's blown up wide open because then I can just play for longer. DBS was on our radar almost as soon as Jim was diagnosed. My name is James Smurden. He was heroic about it. He was flirting with the nurses when he went into the. <laughs> surgery and he was flirting with the nurses when he came back out so what did you hear when they drilled a hole in your brain you hear everything i think you know yeah some people look at jim and they see his parkinson's advancing and his symptoms and they say gee that's too bad the dbs didn't work um (laughs) it did yeah right it did work Mm -hmm. 
So what are some of the things that you get to do? I can drive, I work, I live my life. How's life? <laughs> this is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting sponsor is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. Thanks to our special guests, Joy Milne, who continues her research and collaborations in using her gift for the betterment of Parkinson's, Dr. Tilo Kunath, who is honored in August 2019 with the prestigious Tom Isaacs Award. That's presented annually by the Cure Parkinson's Trust and the Van Andel Institute in Michigan to a researcher who's shown the greatest impact on the lives of people living with Parkinson's and involved people with Parkinson's in a participatory way in their work. Professor Perdita Barron, you heard some of her TEDx Palo Alto talk on this episode. Look it up. The title of it is Diagnosing the Smell of Parkinson's. And thanks to Allison Williams, Apopo, and Rebecca Gifford. Also, special thanks to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the U.S., Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Go to michaeljfox.org slash pdiq. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give the show a rating and please leave a comment about why you enjoy listening to the podcast. Check us out on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. And we'd also love to add your voice to the pod. We invite you to record your message at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.